the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Hey, everyone. Happy Thursday. That one's for you, Brian. Oh, no, no. I'm a, I'm a Friday, Wednesday guy. Remember? No, you're like a happy fill-in-the-day guy, though, I thought. Uh, Thursday. Eh. Oh, really? <laughs> I'm kidding. I like... <laughs> How do you deal with the valley of Thursday between your extreme love for you, Wednesday and Friday? Like, do you remember when we were kids and uh, Thursday? Well, not kids, more like high school stuff. Ki- uh, Thursday was like Seinfeld was on, or when we were real little, it was the Cosby Show. Then Thursday meant something. See, else. I don't remember. That's impressive that you remember the day that certain shows were on. Oh, it was always Thursday on NBC for years. That was the when they put on yeah, the big shows. Yeah, you're right. That's a good point. Cosby I, Show and Cheers and Family Ties, Different World. Well, the only day that I can really, really remember is either all the TGI Friday stuff mm-hmm. or Saturday morning cartoons as yeah, a kid. Yep. This is how you and I are really close in age, but not that close that the, that the TGI, right. the Friday ones were a little bit past when I would have oh, watched those. Was. Yeah, I was just a little bit too old for Boy Meets World and that kind of stuff. And we're, what, six years apart? That yeah. makes sense. Yep. That's like a whole different universe. I was, uh, Thursday was Seinfeld, Friends, or before that was Cosby gotcha. Show, Cheers, all that stuff. So Okay, well. There you go. I don't know how we ended up there, but no, Thursday, <laughs> I'm good with. Don't you feel like that's how most segments go? How yep. did we get how here? How did we get here with no Brian and idea. <laughs> Well, speaking of how do we get here, well, a couple of things. I wanted to kind of start the show with some intensely Chicago news. Yes. Because... I mean, we say this, I think enough, but maybe not, maybe not often, uh, that we're both pastors in the Chicagoland area. There's plenty of places to get your news from all over the place mm-hmm. about the entire country, the entire world. But every once in a while, it's nice to talk about some Chicago specific news. And what's been unfortunate is that a lot of Chicago specific news in the last year has been kind of negative, mm-hmm. whether that's in the church world or that has to do with True. violence of some kind. So th- this also won't be necessarily positive. <laughs> But a little more maybe benign. So yes. Chicago sets four weather records in less than 24 hours. And none of them were good. <laughs> tell us tell us about these records. Uh, so over the last couple of days, how we had this early kind of Arctic weather, there was one, a record snow on Monday, officially became the snowiest November 11th. Uh, when 3.4 inches fell at O'Hare. Number two was a record low of mon- on Monday. Uh, the temperature dropped to... 13 degrees at O'Hare, beating the previous low temperature of 15 degrees in 1950. Oh, wow. Number three record low temperature on Tuesday. Early Tuesday morning, temperatures dipped to just seven degrees, marking the new single-day record for the low in the city. It had previously been eight, set in 1986 for November the 12th, and four record low high temperature. That according to the National Weather Service, the high temperature at O'Hare was only 17 degrees on Tuesday, smashing the record for coldest maximum temperature of November the 12th. The old record was 28 degrees in 1995. So we Just killed smashing. it. And uh, man, I think all of that to say it's been miserably cold this week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was certainly a 
a point where it like turned where it was like, okay, it's cold outside. And then the next day I ran out to my car and I was like, yes. it was cold yesterday. It's bitter today. Bitter. Like, and somebody said to me that the, or at least earlier in the week, it was either Monday or Tuesday when all of these were kind of happening. Uh, somebody said that they heard on the news that the normal low or the normal high was 50. And I was like, that sounds, that sounds like practically beach weather yeah, right I'd now. Go swimming in that for sure. <laughs> and that that's what it normally is right now. And you're like, oh my gosh, we're like in the middle of January. Ugh. It also, the older I get, the more I wish I had a house with a garage I could fit my car in. I do not have one of those either. Oh, get out. We've both, never talked. Look at us bonding. Both of my cars sit out in the uh-huh. driveway. And this is the time of year you are exactly right where you're like, this is terrible. You know what? My entire life, I don't think I've ever actually had a house with Uh-oh, a garage really? that I could fit my car in ever. Like our old house, we, Carrie and I, my wife Carrie and I, we lived in Wheaton, was our first house, and it was the tiniest house, 970 square feet. Yeah, That's about it, what I'm in now, yeah. But it had a big two-car garage <laughs> nice. detached from it, so you felt good, and then I moved to a nicer house uh-huh. in Downers Grove, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, but you can't put cars in the garage at all. Well, it's amazing, too, because, and I do this every stinking year, we had that first snowfall. And I was like, I'm sure I know where my scraper is. Can't find it. Of course, I'm late for work. So I grabbed like an old CD case or something. And I was like. (laughs) You and I are the same person. That happened to me the other day. I'm like, I didn't. I don't even know that I have a scraper in the car. And then I went and checked the. Nope, don't have a scraper in the car. And they're $4. I know. It's insane that we don't. Whatever. Oh, no. I have them in the garage somewhere. But when I need them in my mm-hmm. car, they are of not there. That's exactly right. Okay, so that was our first kind of <clears throat> Chicago-specific news. Four <laughs> weather records in less than 24 hours. That's mm. kind of fun. The second one is that the uh, Ed DeBevix plans to resurface. And you were just telling me before we went live here <laughs> that you're not a fan. Is that true? So a little bit of background. That is true. It's a true statement. And it, none of that has to do with their food at all. So if you've ever been to Ed DeBevix, you know that it, it's a lettuce entertain you restaurant, at least it originally was, that is uh, known for their waiters and waitresses. Besides it being like a 50s diner type of deal, right. they mock you. They make fun of you. Right. They make you feel bad. And <laughs> and if you got to know me, one of the quirks about me that you would learn is that like I don't do well with uncomfortable conversations mm-hmm. like uh, – like we were watching a couple months ago, we were watching Meet the Parents with Ben Stiller, and I had to turn it off because it was so cringeworthy. Like, no kidding. Just stop. Just don't. No, don't do that. <laughs> and Even so, though you know he's going to say the thing. hundred <laughs> percent. And so Ed DeBevix works that way for me. Like, like it's so, oh, no, ah, you're just going to make me feel bad. And like, it, so it gets a little cringeworthy for me. I did not realize it was so bad, though, that you would turn a movie off because of it. Yeah, I think so. So, I, so I've already seen it, so I knew what was okay. coming. But, yeah, I don't do well with, like, really uncomfortable, cringeworthy. It also says something about my uh, my personality. But Ed DeBevix falls into that for me. It's like, come and pay us to mock you. And you're like, nope, don't want that. <laughs> well, let me just read a little bit here because, yeah. uh, well, I'll first kind of share my perspective. I loved it. I would not <laughs> doubt that. <laughs> Which I, don't, I don't know what that says about my personality. It's probably worse than what it says about your personality. Yeah. Although... I had just moved here, and so I've only gone maybe once or twice. So there's a big part of it that's just nostalgia for mm-hmm. me. But it says, the owners of the closed, kitschy, 1950s-style diner, Ed DeBevix, plans to sing and dance their way back into Chicago's heart with a new Streeterville location. Owners applied for a liquor license late last month for the first floor of 159 East Ohio Street, less than a block off Michigan Avenue. Plans for a new restaurant at this location first made headlines in 2017, more than two years after a development displaced the original 31-year-old River North location. Mm. Representatives do not have have not responded to a request for more information. So there's still a lot left to be seen, but I'm curious, will you, now that it's been gone for a while, 
if it reopens, will you go at least one time for old time's sake? I, I could see myself like with my daughter who's about to turn 16. Like, oh, come right. experience. I could, I'm certainly not going to go out with my wife on a date and be like, let's go to Ed DeBevix. I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, but I could see like, hey, my kids, like it could be fun. It would be a fun experience. I, I, I think that's almost like the undate location exactly. for something like unless Hi, we're on a date. Really could you it. make fun of me, please? <laughs> <laughs> Man, I don't know what's broken in my head that finds that so entertaining because there was the singing and the dancing and the sarcasm. Yep. And I remember like kind of keeping up with them, giving the sarcasm right back. And they enjoyed that. I could see you working at it. It was fu- it was like enjoyable for me. But I was also like a punk 20 year old yep. the last yep. time I went. So I'm wondering now if I'd be like. I'm just too tired to be treated like this. I don't, I don't have any interest There's in that. Something to be that be like, okay. Well, we'd love to know. Would you? Maybe we should do a broadcast from Ed DeBevix. That would be awesome. That would be fun. As they're mocking us behind it. <laughs> nice sweater. Nice, <laughs> nice hoodie. <laughs> like the rejoin music each time is just yeah. a chorus of them insulting us. That would be either horrific or legendary. Horrific. All right, probably, probably <laughs> horrific. You're probably right. All right. Well, coming up next, and you kind of alluded to it. Uh, a guy shares his six rules for a successful marriage and. One of them is not going to Ed DeBevix, but he shared it, though, and people loved it. And we're going to talk about that coming up next year on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Well, hi, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. The show all about who knows what. <laughs> somebody was actually haven't done this in a while, but somebody the other day was asking, like, what's kind of the vision for the show? And I was like, oh, we used to say this all the time. Uh, what is the vision of the show? The, the word common there is actually really intentional. That's pretty That's true. the focal point for us. Brian and I come from different vantage points, different sometimes political, theological perspectives. But we wanted to create a show where there was space for dialogue, in particular, the stuff that we share in common and also the common space, because, you know. You can kind of spend your whole life chasing mountaintops, but the reality is that most of us are Good. more in that middle space more often than not. So how do we kind of elevate some of those discussions? So we say the word discussion because we would love for it to not just be Brian and I. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com slash The Common Good, uh, on Twitter at Common Good Talk, and wherever it is to get your podcast and all those platforms. You can send us suggestions or ideas or feedback from segments we've done or ideas for segments in the future. And we'll talk about life and culture and church and theology and politics and all that good stuff. So uh, I mentioned it earlier. This guy, here's the name of the article. Guy shares his six rules for a successful marriage and people love it. Now, I'll be honest. Whenever I read headlines like this, I'm like, do people love it? <laughs> it always feels a little clickbaity. You know, like yeah. one of my pet peeves, honestly, maybe I'll do this for a grinds of my gears. Oh. People are like genius life hack. And I'm like, I think we're tossing the word genius around a little too much now. <laughs> the bar's got to be higher right. for genius. You're like, oh, yeah, using a dustpan to get water to a bucket is not a genius. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes. Genius used to mean something. And that was like That's a awesome. barely clever idea. So anyway, this guy named Brian Stevens, he said, my wife and I have found that focusing more on being teammates and less on being soulmates is a solid recipe for marital success. Here's a quick thread on the six rules we try to follow to be good teammates to each other in our mm. marriage and i'll tell you what i read them they're good and they really are i don't know who this guy is nope but they're pretty good so why don't you uh, why don't you kick us off yeah number one he says no one should ever hear anything bad about your spouse from you that's so it's good. one thing to joke with friends about something trivial and quite another to demean your spouse's character yes know the difference and always discuss the latter with your spouse and no one else that is gold right Do you there ever hear that like if you've ever been in a circle of friends and someone starts really kind of Bad mouth in there. It's really uncomfortable, discouraging. Yes. It's like, bro, 
that's your partner, man. Yep. What, what are you doing? Yep. I'm amazed at how common that is, actually. I, I am, too. The closest we come to it is sometimes I can get pretty jokey around people. Yeah. And, like, joking, like, in a way I think is funny. And my wife will be like, uh, that was nah, hurtful. Like, oh, right. I'm really sorry. But, yeah, especially if you're intentionally demeaning your spouse, that is right. that's a warning red flag right there. I want to give a shout out to my brother, by the way, because I've seen him a couple of times. Somebody was, um, oh, I remember. He had just gotten engaged. Okay. And, so, you know, he was kind of telling a group of guys he got engaged. And, the you know, the classic guy, like. Oh, sorry to hear that. And I saw the chain. All of that. Yeah. And my brother, who loves loves joking, his face got real serious. He said, "Don't you ever say that again about my future bride. This is the best decision I've ever made in my entire life." <laughs> wow. And the whole room got like, Ooh. like he called it. It didn't was was like the nervous laugh yep. with the kind of thing. I changed like, the subject. Yeah. Man, I was so I was so proud of him for doing that. That's cool. All right, number two, over communicate. You cannot read each other's minds. Never assume the other person knows what you meant. Give each other the benefit of the doubt mm. when miscommunication happens. Double check if necessary. Is this one that kind of hits close to home? Oh, <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. There's so many times, especially when life is so busy, yeah, where you feel right. like you don't have that much time to communicate. And then you get mad when the other one doesn't like, no, right. I had a bad day or I'm upset with you or this. I love the overcommunicate. Number three, uh, try new things together. Even if one of you is typically more adventurous than the other, have fun with it. Hmm. Trying new things gets an individual out of their comfort zone and is often easier as a couple, allowing you both to grow, uh, allowing you both to grow stronger together. How do you guys uh, not get th- the opposite of this is you get in a rut like, uh-huh, OK, we have right. a date night. We always go to the same restaurant and we always do this right. and always do this. Is this something that uh, that you guys are good at? Uh, OK, so I'll say it this way. My wife tends to be much more um, consistent, like in the kinds of food that she'll order. Mm-hmm. But she's pretty adventurous about where we're getting that food. And gotcha. one of the things we both really, really share that we need to do a better job of doing is travel. Mm. So like while I tend to be much more like. Yeah, just see what happens. We both share this like love for new spaces. Yeah. And we love Airbnbs and we love quirky, bizarre, like that was a weird place we just had brunch. Ha ha ha. And we'll move on to that. Like we really enjoy that's that awesome. part of it. So that's that's definitely one that we share. All right, so number four, right? Is that right? We're on number four, yes. Be each other's champions, celebrate wins and encourage each other. Bring home champagne after a promotion at work. Or soda, because we're a Christian. Grape station. juice. Okay, grape juice, right. <laughs> Communing grape juice. Uh, back each other up when engaging in that battle with your heathen toddler. Work out together, etc. Never cut the other person down when they're struggling. Mm. That's kind of a twofer, but like... Yeah, that was a twofer. Man, I don't know about you. When I see a spouse cheering on, mm-hmm. even on social media, like the thing their spouse is doing, I'm always like, yes, yeah. more of that, yeah. please. I love that. Yeah, you've been doing that with the stuff your wife is starting, I've oh, noticed. Thanks, so. man. I'm tr- it's, there you go. She's easy to cheer on, though, man. There she's she's awesome. There you go. Uh, number five, be grateful for each other's contributions, whether it be money, time, chores, childcare, or anything else. No one contribution is greater than another. Hmm. And don't who this hard one. Don't keep score. Oof. If you truly value each other's input, then the scorecard shouldn't and doesn't matter. This is a huge one, especially uh, in uh, marriages like mine and yours currently, where. Hmm. Uh, where one spouse is working full time or in right. our case, two jobs <laughs> right. and the other one is is kind of keeping the house together and, and working like doing some side stuff. But with the kids and stuff, mm-hmm. I know for my wife, it, it means the world to her when I am uh, recognizing and yes. valuing what she's doing instead of just assuming it or 
uh, ignoring it. I know that's a big one. To be grateful for each other's contributions. And not keeping score. Is which big. also includes dishes and trash and all that. Like, help out whenever the need is there, right? Yeah. All right. And number six, trust and respect each other, especially in front of others, including your children. That's mm-hmm. good. If you do not respect your spouse in front of other people, why should those people respect your spouse? Enough said. That, mm. to me. So this is how he ends the whole uh, the whole thread here. It says, marriage or any long-term relationship is not all about love and romance. It's about working at it day in and day out. It's about choosing your partner every day. And I like that phrasing instead of, because I've heard some other like yep. Hallmark sentiments where it's like, fall in love with your spouse every day. Yep. And I, every time I hear that, I think, nope. I don't think that's possible, actually. <laughs> but I can choose every single day. Yes. And I'm going to back you up. I'm going to I'm going to have I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt. I'm going to praise you like mm-hmm. and again we don't do this perfectly. Of course not. Sure. But choosing those kinds of things I think is within our power. That's that's really important to say. I just uh, totally what you said there. I don't think that we talk enough when we're discussing marriage uh, hmm. about choice, like choosing mm-hmm. and work, like that right. it takes work and intentionality. Right. Uh, it's the whole, uh, every uh, premarital counseling session I start with, I tell them, hey, when you get to your wedding, that's the beginning, not the end. <laughs> right, <laughs> like, right. That's when, the, that's when it starts. And uh, marriage is the best. Hmm. I love being married, but part of what's fun about it is trying to figure out life with this other person that you love that's and right. not like... Yeah, there's wonderful moments in this, but also working the hard moments. That one was powerful about always uh, speaking well and, and and showing respect to your spouse in front of your children, too. Yeah, right. Because that can be hard within the house when things are running out of control and, you know, your house is kind of small and <laughs> it can yes. be hard. But, man, these were really good. Ryan Stevens, I have no idea who you are, but well done. Well yeah, done. I, one of the things, too, that I've been really challenged by over the years is uh, simple things like when I get home, and I don't do this perfectly, uh, I I greet and hug and kiss my wife first. It's good, even if the kids are screaming or even if they're not screaming. Sometimes my like my, my little boy is pretty convincing. He's got those big baby blues. Yeah, so sort of like run to the door and I try to be really intentional about saying, mm-hmm. "No, mom gets the first hug, mom gets the first kiss." Which again, I'm not great at. Sure. But it's, a, it's something that I aspire to to kind of show them like, "Hey, we love you guys," but I'm covenanted to her. Yeah, I'm with your like, mom. This this is the priority, and I think honestly, I think kids notice that stuff too. They do and honestly, guys, your your kids. The, the example, we, you and I have done enough weddings and premarital counseling to know that, that a great indicator of marriage is going to be the marriage that they grew up under. Yes. Not all the time. You right. can grow and break bad habits and stuff. But their greatest lesson as to what marriage is, is watching mom and dad's marriage. So that's an important fact to remember. That's absolutely right. Well, coming up next, here's an article, actually, that someone from our church sent me and said, I'd love to know what you guys think about this. See, we actually do that sometimes. There you go. So this is called, Why Does the Church Ignore Hurting People? That's Mm. coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey everyone, welcome back to The Common Good. That is the saddest song on that record. That, is, that feels like R.E.M. Everybody Hurts, like what's we're going to play. <laughs> it's actually a really beautiful song. It's by David Bazan, and it's him kind of talking. He's, talk, he's talking about his struggle with faith, but then also the struggle with his daughter amidst the faith, which is actually such a beautiful sentiment. Like, I have my own struggles, but now my kids are asking questions, mm. and I'm trying to reconcile some of the stuff that I'm reading and feeling, and... Really, really good record. It's called Cursed Branches. Anyway, hmm. uh, if you want to find us, not us, digital representations of us, you can go to Facebook, uh, Common Good Radio Show. You can go to 1160hope.com slash the common good on Twitter at Common Good Talk. 
or wherever it is you get your podcast, a little like, subscribe, and review. If you have the time, really, really does help us out. And one of the things that I mention a lot is that all of those platforms are really helpful ways for us to kind of know what kinds of things we should be going after or stuff we should be reading or engaging with. And this next segment is actually an article that uh, someone from our church sent me Mm. and kind of just said, I would love to know your guys' thoughts, both being pastors, about this specific topic. And it's... uh, the headline is, why does the church ignore hurting people? And it begins sort of with this mm. question from someone who's writing this author about, you know, kind of their own experiences in the midst of that. And I think it's a really, really difficult, complex, but important question. So why don't you kind of fill us in a little bit what's going on here? Yeah, I actually think it's really, uh, I think the most helpful way to get into this is to read what this person wrote. It's almost like a Dear Abby type uh-huh, of deal, but right. it's writing to someone named Roger. Uh from a Natalie and a Peter. And so they're asking the question and then this guy's going to answer it. And it's a hard one, man. It's because this dear Roger, why do churches often ignore the poor, the hurting, the victims of disease and disaster? So that's a really big question, right? Huge question, right. But then we go down. Now it gets really personal. My son tried to call all the Christian churches of Australia in supporting me. I'm bedridden and asked someone to come visit me in my time of illness, such as Mm -hmm. reading inspirational scriptures to uplift my spirit. Not one of them, pastors or elders, etc., came to see me, hmm. even though I prayed about it constantly. We have no family or friends and are very isolated. Yes, we have read the Bible, having one-in-one with God, but we still need Christians on our side for support in a time of need. Where is Christianity gone today, this person writes, when all churches do is make money, open cafes, bookshops in their churches, lure people into buying their goods, when in reality, they should be going out into all communities to reach for the needy when they don't have are too busy with their own church conferences, etc. I've heard they care about hurting people, but why aren't they there for me? And this is, so let's acknowledge painting with a really broad brush here. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, but asking the question, uh, why aren't, why am I forgotten? Why isn't the church, why aren't Christians there for me? And that's a hard one. Like I, uh, I have a couple different responses to these people's hmm. questions. One, uh, it clearly kind of presupposes here that they're not part of a church. And that was the first thing that stuck out. Like she's Mm -hmm. like, my son called all these different churches and that would be hard to get a random call. But beyond that, I know even my own church, which isn't a big church. uh, It's easy for people who are hurting to fall through the cracks, not because we want them to, but because of um, it's just uh, life is really busy. That is not an excuse. Uh, it's just a reality, right? You start getting on with the got to plan the sermon, got to do this, got to do that, got to do that. And and it becomes a little bit of out of sight, out of mind. And so the 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 answer here from Roger is really good about the church needs to get back again, painting with a really broad brush. But the church needs to get back to uh, not neglecting, you know, the people in need, the shut ins, the poor, uh, the people who need care, uh, because that will take up a lot of your time and not give a lot of bang for your buck. But it is as pastors what we are called to do, or one of the things we're called to do when we're called to shepherd the flock. And so this is a very convicting one for me, because there are some people that came to mind for me as I read this within my mm. own church going, right. Yeah, they could probably use a phone call. Yeah. They could probably use something. So this is convicting. Again, the letter itself comes out of pain and paints with quite the broad brush. Like, I don't think every church is concerned with their cafe and their bookshop and luring people right. to buy their goods. I think we all, most pastors that I know want to help the people in their church. Yeah. Uh, things just get crazy sometimes. Well, and I, I like the way that uh, this author begins the response by saying many letters like yours come to me. I agree with you. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry that you're struggling without help and support from the church. I will pray for you right now. That's the right posture. Yes. So you and I are both pastors. So I want to first say 
man, do we really miss it in this mm-hmm. way sometimes. Mm-hmm. Man, do we as churches, even with the best of intentions, like you were saying, priorities can sometimes get out of whack or emails can just choke out all the free time that we thought we would have. And that's not an excuse. So I'm going to first just say that's good for Brian and I. Like we're we're sorry for the ways that we've completely missed the mark on this. And I know that sometimes in the future we we will. I remember reading years ago uh, Grudem's systematic theology, and he was kind of talking about church governance, and he like really succinctly um, boiled it all down to this. He says it's worship, which is ministry to God, hospitality, which is ministry to believers, and evangelism, which is ministry to the world. That was mm. sort of his three bucket category. Yep. But the older that I get the more I think it's actually more complicated than yeah. that. And there's a lot of times those things, if you, you know, subscribe to Alan Hirsch's APES stuff, right? Apostle, mm-hmm. prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher. Um, the church needs all of those. Mm-hmm. And the shepherd tends to be the one that's much better at sort of the pastoral care piece. But a lot of times, you know, shepherds maybe don't necessarily lead the organization. They're a part of the organization. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we need to really, I think, listen to the shepherds in our community. Like, hey, how can we better come alongside people and not just simply put on a great event on yep. Sunday. So yep. why, why don't you walk us through this baseball analogy that they give? Because I think that might actually be a really helpful way for us to think about this going forward. Yeah, he talks about what are the essentials uh, that the church cannot ignore. He says, I call it playing, quote, church baseball, and our goal is to hit a home run. So first base is uh, that Jesus told us to love God and love our neighbors as we love ourselves. He says, in my opinion, the church in general is not doing well with this priority, Uh, In the first century, Christians were known as people who loved God and loved others. Uh, Is that who we are today? He Mm -hmm. said, second base, we're told he Jesus told us to evangelize all nations that God is on the move Hmm. in massive parts of our world. Uh, American churches are doing their part in reaching the nations. And so it's love God, love your neighbors, and then go to the nations. Hmm. Third third base, he told us to teach and disciple all believers. Hmm. And he said, we must shore up this area dramatically uh, that we struggle, uh, that sermons aren't the the what ends up discipling people that we need to give thought to that. What's it helped mean to help people grow. But the home run is Jesus's heart beats to care for the poor and the hurting wherever and whenever they may be found. Yeah. And he says uh, that Jesus uh, early, uh, that Jesus was, was reaching out to those in need. He was looking for the hurting. He was looking for the poor, that those were part of his heartbeat. That's who he went for. Uh, and so he, th- this author basically says for a church to hit a home run at their heartbeat it has to be helping hurting people yeah. both in their church and outside their church. And right. that's convicting because we all want to help hurting people. The question is, how do you set up the structures and the mechanisms right. to make sure you can when you are met by the needs or you see the needs? Well, and I think a lot of that, too, comes from a reframing of how we understand the church. I remember yeah. 10 years ago. A guy in our church was in the hospital and his small group just so beautifully rallied around him and was visiting him every single day. And mm. I was out of the country on a trip. And when he came out of the hospital, he came to the office and was really mad that the church wasn't there for him. And I was like, wasn't your small uh, group there? Yeah. Like every single day you were there. And he goes, yeah, that's my small group. But what about the church? Mm. I was like, your small group is being the church to you, man. Like that's. That, I think sometimes we create this weird celebrity dichotomous, like, oh, if it's not the person with the microphone. It's really true. But it is also a really important framing. I was reading a book about this uh, this Japanese theologian talking about the three-mile-an-hour God. And he, by his calculation, his, uh, his guesstimation is that Jesus walked at about three miles an hour. <laughs> and he said more than half of his healings were interruptions. Are we willing to actually allow our good. schedules and our calendars and our plans for even good things? Sometimes yep. that may mean, pastor listening, you need to stop your sermon prep mm-hmm. to go be Jesus to someone. Mm-hmm. The sermon prep is important. I'm not saying it's not. Yep. Sometimes you have to close the laptop, 
pick up the phone, drive your car, write that card. It can feel so counterintuitive because like, yep. oh, well, the sermon is the thing that gets shared everywhere. And it's the thing that that's I'm not saying it's not important. Yep. But man, to be people of compassion, point. to be people of love, to maybe take a more three mile an hour God walk is isn't appropriate because, I you know, I'm convicted by that. I'm always totally going am. a million miles an hour and annoyed by annoyed when that gets disrupted. Right. Right. How we're disrupted, I think, says a lot about yeah. our posture and character. Well, I'm really, really grateful for that person that shared this article and uh, cool. we would love if you have other ideas or suggestions and I'm sure this isn't the last time that we'll talk about that topic but uh, there's a lot of food for thought there. There is. Well, coming up next I want to talk about the Gaffigans mainly uh, Jim Gaffigan and his wife and some stuff that they've kind of gone through as of late and their posture toward it all. That's what's coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey everyone, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. You can find us all over the World Wide Web, including Tumblr. Tumblr? Uh-huh. Okay. Also, LiveJournal. LiveJournal? Is that a like a podcast thing? No, you don't know what LiveJournal is? I have no idea. Really? Yeah. Do I, I look like, like I know what LiveJournal is? <laughs> I don't think that's a fair question. A lot of people <laughs> what is it? in your life stage know what LiveJournal is. <laughs> My life stage? <laughs> it was like a, did you have a Zanga? Are you familiar with Zanga? Nope. Oh, boy. Keep going. Um, what else would fit in that category? It was a live journal. It was just, it was like the first iteration of a blog. Ah. It was like pre. I know what a blog is. You do know what a blog yes. is. I saw your eyes light up. Like, and a gif. Where did I know? <laughs> and gif stands for what? Gosh, Gosh it's, it's funny. funny. <laughs> Jeez, Louise. That is, I am really kind of hate that we said that in unison, too. That's what made all of that. That was funny. Just <laughs> repulsive. Okay. Um. <laughs> So what are we talking about? We're talking about funny stuff, but not so funny stuff. The, right. the title of this actually is No Laughing Matter, and it's about uh, Jim and Jeannie Gaffigan. I don't know if you're – are you a Jim Gaffigan fan? I just have not listened. I know a ton of people who just love him. I would not say I'm a fan or not a fan. I don't think I've ever actually seen him or listened to much of his stuff. Oh, I'm okay. sure I would be. I love comedians. Yeah, so I'm sure really I would should. be. You really should. Um, he's, I think he's – He's incredibly talented, but yep. he's also gone through this really kind of interesting journey of faith the last 15 or, tw- or so years. So if you listen back to like early stuff, uh, it's a good deal more crude. And oh. in more recent years, he talks about his Catholic faith and has even mentioned stuff about struggles with his wife, which is what I want to talk about. Because okay. I think it's a really interesting juxtaposition of a guy who's like always on, always funny. And then tragedy kind of strikes with his wife specifically and uh, I just I, I think that that's a really, really unique thing that they're kind of experiencing all this under a microscope. So I want you to hear from Jeannie Gaffigan first, and then we're going to talk a little bit sort of about how they've been navigating some of this tragedy. Every time I would wake up and I would see that machine with the yellow gunk going into my yeah. nose, I was like, I can't believe I'm here. It was yeah. just like it was really difficult for me. But if I could just when I would tap into my faith I would see the big picture that I knew that there was a reason for this to happen to me. But when I didn't, wasn't in touch with my faith, it was like too much for me to bear. So what, what an interesting, I mean, that is so succinct and so visceral for someone who's actually in the midst of pain, suffering and turmoil to draw this direct linkage to when I, when I felt like I was strong in my faith, it still was really dark, Mm -hmm. but I was able to withstand it. But when I, when I wasn't, it just felt like it was crushing me. And uh, I'm curious, uh, not knowing really the family at all or knowing much of their background or context, um, how does what she said 
kind of resonate with you and your experience or what you see in your own churches as people yeah. kind of walk through difficulty? Yeah, I, I, I resonate with that because uh, you'll often hear people when they're suffering with cancer or other debilitating diseases, other life threatening times where they'll say things like, um, you know, where they move from my faith was there because hopefully I have enough faith that God will heal me. Right. To Mm -hmm. my faith sustained me. And that's what I hear her saying there, like watching uh, while she's getting treatment and she's going, how did I end up here? She's saying when I was, you know, had a posture of faithfulness is kind of how I hear what she's saying there. As I had this posture of faithfulness, God sustained me. But when I lost sight of that and was kind of doing this on my own or out of anger or whatever, that it was overwhelming. And I think that's fascinating. And another fascinating thing about this story to me is Jim Gaffigan's a funny man. Right. Mm -hmm. Like he gets paid tens of millions of dollars, it says at the beginning of this article, to make people laugh. And sometimes you forget that, like, these guys have real lives. What must it have been like to have to be funny Uh while your wife is going through this? Knowing what he knows. It must have been such a weird, um, a weird time where people are watching him on stage and he literally has to go up there and be laughy and funny and this Mm -hmm. and that while his wife is, you know, might not make it. She uh, thankfully, she obviously came through. Um, but to read this article and, and them talking about what it did to their faith collectively and what her calmness and resoluteness and faithfulness, the effect it had on him uh, is just it's inspiring, but right. also really interesting to think about it in terms of his job as well. Well, and they're both writers and they're both like comedy writers. Mm-hmm. So it, it, oh, uh, she is. I didn't see that. Right. And what I find so interesting is when she's talking about getting this diagnosis of a brain tumor the size of a pear, she said it was just too much information for me to turn immediately to God. I thought, what an honest response, because it's something that we preach, I'm sure, about like, man, when you feel the bottom's dropping out, turn to God. Yep. And her kind of saying, I, I did eventually, but it wasn't my first response, right? And she mm. kind of talks about this, man, if if the adage is true, God, that you don't give us more than we can handle, which the Bible doesn't actually say, right? Um, this feels like too much to handle. Yep. And like Jim, you know, he talks about, I love the way he puts this. He says, there was something about Jeannie's deep faith and mm-hmm. the comfort and peace that she encountered that reassured me. So here he is. And I imagine with all the expectations, like, man, I got to be the strong one for her. He kind of admits throughout this article. And I encourage you to go to the Facebook page and read the whole thing because it's fascinating. But he was saying, yeah, I'm a Christian, but it actually was seeing her deep faith. Mm. He kind of leaned in on her strength. And she is even part of the like part of what you were saying. They said, uh, Jim remembers during one of the health screenings, Jeannie went in for an MRI. This particular MRI, the results were literally life or death. She was still on the gurney, and she looked at me and said, write this down. These are observations on the MRI, Jim says. She was ready to start working on material. (laughs) Even in one of the darkest moments of their lives, Jeannie dealt with it like she's dealt with everything. She wrote jokes about it. Goes on and says, one of the things that got us through it is the fact that we're used to viewing our lives through the lens of comedy, she says. Jeannie says that her husband's comedy has always been observational, and without knowing it, the couple was coaching themselves on how to find the humor in things that don't necessarily seem funny at first blush. The thing that we may not think of as funny, such as a bottle of body wash or a hot pocket or whatever, or in this case, cancer. What a, what a remarkably interesting, unique perspective on facing your own tragedy or the tragedy yeah. of a loved one to like see it through the, the lens of comedy. I just think that's really interesting. And I think it's a great lesson. Like, um, you know, I've never, thankfully, uh, and hope never to have to or anytime soon, uh, nobody in my immediate family has ever dealt with something as serious as like cancer. Right. Um, but it is a reminder that like 
Sometimes I think we we approach people who have cancer or some other did life threatening or life altering disease and we treat them with like kid gloves like they've changed Mm -hmm. completely as a person. Mm. Whereas it shouldn't surprise us that they dealt with this in the way they've dealt with everything with laughter and jokes and writing. But I think sometimes, you you know, if you're in that situation, you're probably taken aback like what you're laughing about cancer. And, and I would guess that they would probably say, like, this is how we are. Like, this is who we are. Like, you don't change your, your personality necessarily. It's a good reminder for me in dealing with people, because my guess is most people want to be really quiet and really somber. somber and, right, and if that's right. what the person needs, then that's what they need. But sometimes people might want to be like, I, I don't need more heaviness in my life. I need levity. And, and so I think that's a good uh, an, another good indication. And so it's it's fascinating to read this article about how they've dealt with this mm-hmm. over time. And he kept doing his career, but he also thought of retiring. Like, I would have to think that's normal when someone you love uh, or when yourself gets this kind of diagnosis of just being like, I'm quitting everything. Yeah. I'm like, I'm just going to do this. And but then he talks about how, no, he reengaged his career. I think this is this is uh, this is helpful. Well, listen to what she says. She says, I think now my faith is much more centered in gratitude than it is about asking for things. Mm. So even though I wouldn't have defined my faith before as asking for things, ironically, me turning to God when I needed him the most and asking him to help me through it. I kind of felt my faith through that whole process blossom into this gratitude. Mm. I was kind of losing touch in my life, even though looking back at my life prior, the things that were happening in my life were so amazing, whether it was career wise or my kids or extended family. But it took me going through this crisis to experience true gratitude. Mm. I I think that is uh, incredibly instructive. And I don't know if you've ever experienced anything even remotely close to that yourself. But there is something to be said about like when we go through some of these really, really difficult seasons, it does have a way of kind of reframing everything else around us. And I think that's always helpful. I think it does. I think whether it be, uh, you know, the death of a loved one or a cancer diagnosis or just you know, some struggle in life. I do think it it necessarily changes your faith. Like it yep. deepens it and it gives it kind of more laser focus to what our faith uh, is actually about as opposed to God give me things. That's I think right. it changes things. I totally agree. Well, coming up next, we've mentioned Francis Chan earlier in the week, but listen to this headline or this title. Isn't it time for Francis Chan style mission missionaries to rethink mission? We're going to talk about that article coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. You can find us all over the World Wide Web. Just type www.google.com and then type Ian Simpkins and Brian Fromm and something will show up. (laughs) Hopefully it's close to what we want to show up. Mm -hmm. I've never actually done that, so we'll see. Um, But we mentioned it earlier in the week, Francis Chan uh, has announced that he's moving, right? Yep. Uh, when was that? That was Tuesday, Wednesday. It all like bleeds together now at this point. Yeah. Either way, it was uh, a couple of days after he was with us at Exponential Regional, and uh, he announced that he and his family are moving. They're packing up, and we did a whole segment on it. And mm-hmm. I don't even remember where we landed with all that. What was our general posture when we did that segment earlier in the week? Oh, I think the general posture was this is really challenging and really good. Hmm, and okay. in fact, we played his chapel, some part of his chapel message at Azusa Pacific, where he announced it. 
the whole uh, fishing in a pond metaphor he oh, used. Right, right. Um, but yeah, his background, him and his wife and family, they were in Myanmar. Uh, he told the story of, of sharing Jesus kind of hut to hut with a lo- some local translators. Mm-hmm. And we're so blown away that they're like, it's time to move. It's time to do this. Right. And it's kind of taken the evangelical world that you and I swim in. I'm guessing a lot of people don't know about this, but the evangelical mm-hmm. world uh, of pastors and speakers, because it's hard to go to maybe... You know, it's hard to go to any big conference in the Christ, in the pastor world and not not hear Francis Chan hmm. <laughs> because he's that captivating and that good. Right. Um, but now it's interesting. There has been uh, there was there it has been this admiration like, man, this is a really challenging message he's giving. Look at him putting his money where his mouth is. He's going. And now there's been a little bit of as often happens with Twitter or whatever else in, in our world. Uh, the the pendulum has swung way the other way to some criticism, and and I'm interested for us to wrestle with this a little bit because now the conversation has become: Is Francis Chan's type of mission work uh, is it arrogant? Is it dangerous? Uh, should we be applauding him and his family uprooting themselves and going to Myanmar? Uh, where do we land on this? And so it's uh, Craig Greenfield here at CraigGreenfield.com. Uh, wrote uh, a pretty challenging blog post, but you said there's been other spots where it's been. Mike Frost wrote, I believe, on it and some other no, places. No, he just shared this. Oh, he shared this yeah. one. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and so, um, yeah, it causes us to wrestle with what is mission work? What is our role as Americans? Yeah. Uh, and that's what this Craig Greenfield is uh, trying to raise with well, let me, Francis Jan. Yeah, let me read some of the intro here, and then we'll get into the nitty-gritty, because I think he actually makes a number of good points. Again, we're not going to have enough time here to walk through all of it, so I encourage you to go to the Facebook page, read it for yourself, and let us know what you think. Here's how he opens it, though. He says, I love that Francis Chan and his family are pivoting toward Asia. He's right. There's a lot of need here. And yes, Americans are theologically obese, which that's a whole other phrase I want to come back to sometime. You all don't need another celebrity preacher there, so don't waste your talents, Francis. Come on over. But Chan's announcement took me a bit by surprise because I know him to be a deep thinker, and yet it was framed in such a colonial old school missionary manner. You probably already have some questions like I do. Mm-hmm. Frankly, this outdated posture needs to change. So let's take this as a learning opportunity, shall we? Francis starts his blog post with a story about going from hut to hut, as you were saying, in a Burmese slum, sharing the gospel through a translator. Chan says he felt more and more alive, the people that, uh, that he shared it with. I'm not surprised. There's something about being immersed in situations of poverty that puts all of life in perspective for those of us with privilege. I know this from living more than a decade in Southeast Asia slums myself, and Burmese people are super friendly and hospitable. There's a crucial character missing from this story, but hold on just a sec. Take a step back, and let's look at this story from another angle. Francis is at the center of the narrative, naturally, since it's about his sense of calling. But there are a few other characters that we might not want to overlook in the story, lest we get the real story wrong. And he says, you see, I actually know one of the guys who was translating for him on that visit. And how can I put this? The Burmese brother who was translating for Francis Chan would have been immeasurably better suited to sharing the gospel contextually in that situa- situation than an American new arrival who didn't speak the language or understand the cultural landscape. We also can't give Francis a pass because he's ethnically Asian. He's still steeped in an American worldview and an individualistic understanding of the gospel. In fact, this local translator likely had already had multiple opportunities to speak with these people in their own heart language and share the gospel with them on previous occasions folks mm. he had a ministry in that community already so i'm gonna hit pause there yeah how, how does what he's saying there hit you specifically as a pastor as someone who thinks about these things a lot are you surprised by this are you cheering or do you have caveats 
Yeah, it's all I have all that. So <laughs> what's been interesting to me, and I think something that causes us to have to give pause, is uh, a lot of the pushback I've personally seen to Francis Chan stuff is coming from missionaries. Hmm. In fact, a lot of missionaries from over there. And that should cause pause. I, in the end, here's where I land as, you know, whatever it means for me as, you know, suburban Chicago pastor, is I still want to cheer that Francis Chan is doing this. I still want to be challenged by this. And I would like to think that he's going to hear from these people as he's in the culture and meeting. It feels to me that Francis Chan and his wife and kids went over there. They had this unbelievable experience, and they said, now we want to immerse ourselves here. Uh, and so I'd like to think that it's it's going to not be about him. It's going to be about the people, and he's going to connect with these people. On the other hand, I do think this uh, Craig Greenfield has a lot of great stuff to, for all of us to wrestle with here. Like, uh, Francis Chan, in his announcement, I think just out of exuberance, did basically say, there's nobody out here doing this. And mm-hmm. he's like, hey, we're here. Like, this is going on. Like, right. this is happening. Uh, and, uh, and so I don't – I think I would – uh, I would like to project upon Francis Chan great motives here and say he's hopefully going to go there and connect in the long term with these people and instead of kind of blow them away. But I guess time will tell. And you've got to give respect to the people who are already on the on the ground saying, here's where I have a problem with that. That does need to cause us to go, OK, we got to learn from them because they're there already. Yeah. Let me, let me just read how he closes this and then yep. we'll uh, fill it out with any more time we have, because I think this is instructive for a lot of us. And I'm thinking of one of my mentors, Dave Sanders, who taught us this back at undergrad to rethink how we approach and talk about missions. He yeah. says, here's my proposal to Francis Chan. Francis, I want to suggest that we need a new metaphor. The metaphor of fishermen all equally equipped to catch fish in every pond is sorely lacking for several reasons. One, the new pond actually already has lots of local fishermen. We just need eyes to see them. Two, the fishermen in that pond are much better equipped to fish there than an outsider. They have bait that we know (laughs) not of, a common worldview. Mm. Three, anyone from outside fishing uh, there without understanding the power dynamics is going to change the pond's ecosystem in an unhelpful way. So, I'd like to suggest a different analogy. I'd like to propose that folks like Francis Chan, I include myself here, see ourselves as midwives instead of fishermen among equals. We're not the ones who get to birth things here in these communities where we ourselves are outsiders. We are to help local people, insiders, give birth to the kingdom of God in their midst. Our role is firmly on the sidelines. We're called to the periphery. We encourage, we pray, we help out when needed, we support, we strengthen their hand to lead the way from the beginning. And I'm hopeful that Francis Chan will surround himself Mm -hmm. with folks that will challenge his role at the center of the gospel sharing church planning story that he is telling. Yes, we need more gospel storytellers in Asia. Yes, we need more people forming communities of faith in Asia, but the people at the center of that mission are community insiders, not outsiders. Our role is to come alongside these insiders as alongsiders, as <laughs> midwives, and help them give birth to the dreams and visions God has already placed in their hearts. Now that is a mission I can get behind. Amen. What do you think? I think it's great. Yeah. I think he's right. And I guess I'm a little hesitant because I don't want to discourage people like Francis Chan or right. maybe just right. regular people out there like, okay, so what? Should I never go if I feel like God is calling me? But I do think it raises a great point about there's already likely people there for you to come alongside and support hmm. and don't go in there like I'm the savior, but I'm here to help. I think that I think this guy who's already on the ground, it raises some great stuff. That last paragraph, I'm like, yes, that's great. Whether you're planting a church in a community in America that's or you're going say, yes. over the cut totally. over the, to a new land. Uh, still go, still go. But I think these are some good tips. And I think, honestly, it's convicting for all of us wherever we're at Absolutely. to see like you're in a neighborhood where you likely speak the language, not only 
dialectically, but yep. you also get the struggles and you are sharing the story. Like, mm-hmm. honestly, I just joined a couple of like what's happening in Naperville Facebook groups. And even just doing that has honestly given me a much clearer sense of the heartbeat of our city. Here are the yeah. things people are complaining about. They're struggling with like we have mm-hmm. opportunities. What's the phrase you use? Everyday missionaries. Everyday right? missionaries. Just sort of yep. in whatever context. When, he, yep. when Jesus says, therefore, go, really maybe a better translation is in your going. Yes. In wherever you are today, tomorrow, this week, this month, see every opportunity yep. as charged with the grandeur of God for you to be like life and presence and forgiveness and mercy and beauty. And I think that, again, not to discourage someone from hopping on a plane. Absolutely. But if you do see yourself as, what, what was his word, as an alongsider. An alongsider, a midwife. I think that's, I think that's really, great. That's a really, really helpful yep. analogy. I like that he didn't say, don't come. Like, that's where it felt like that's this right. was leading. I like that he didn't say that, but he said, in your coming, that's right. let's talk about this. That's right. Well, coming up next, we have two in-studio guests, and we're going to talk about Christian concerts mm. inside bars. We're going to talk to some of the people of Go Promoters, and you are not going to want to miss it. That's coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simkins, along with Brian Fromm. You can find us a couple places on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com, slash The Common Good on Twitter, at Common Good Talk, or quite literally, and I have searched, wherever it is you get your podcast. If you're a podcaster, liking, subscribing, reviewing somehow magically helps us out. If you are a sharer of things, just hit that little share button, send it to a friend, or... Pick a number at random. Send it to them and say, "Listen to these guys. Who who, who gave them a show?" Is sure. what I want to know. That's what uh, that's what we're all about here in the comedy. They're all thinking that right now. <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, those other chuckles that you're hearing in the distance are my two good friends, Dougie Hype and Nate Dog, in the house. <laughs> How's that for an introduction? Wow. <laughs> okay, so why don't you give your actual introductions? Who you really are? You can be as personal, professional as you want, and then why it is that you're on the show right now. So my name is Nate Olson. I've got an awesome wife and. And two young daughters, uh, five and two and a half, and uh, work at a local company called ANA Paving, having a lot of fun doing that, uh, as well as volunteering and sitting on the board of Go Promoters. Nice. Yeah. And you good, sir. Uh, my name is Doug Zirkel, and I have an awesome er wife. Awesome er. Ooh. <laughs> I knew you were going to make this competitive. <laughs> well, yeah. Gotta win. Gotta win. Uh, my, my wife is Lana, and I have three kids, mm-hmm. uh, Carly, Christian, and Chloe. Uh, easy to remember them. Mm-hmm. They all start with C. You did that on purpose, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, I did. It's, you know. <laughs> now, what's the role that you play with Go Promoters? Then, what's your history there? Well, uh, years ago, um, you know, I I went to this awful, awful <laughs> Bible Man production, and I remember sitting there watching and going, "We we've got to be able to do better than this." As we a Christian, being Christians, right? Christian <laughs> community. This is like it was terrible. I mean, I I think there were three people. In the entire show, and uh, one of them was sick that day, and they just all took turns ad-libbing. It was awful. Oh, boy. <laughs> Every aspect of it. And I just remember going, gosh, I, I think we could do better than this. Uh-huh. And mm-hmm. and uh, and then I said no to God for, like, the next decade. <laughs> right. We've all been there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and um, eventually... Um, I I went to uh, try and volunteer hmm. for um, the the my predecessor, and uh, they were out of business. And I was wondering why there was no Christian shows coming to Chicago. Hmm. And um, so one thing led to another, and Lana said, "Let's let's do it, let's do it." <laughs> She's and, so awesome. Yeah. 
<laughs> and literally, it, it was it was that and uh, like a phone call and an email and this this guy from Nashville is like, you can do it. We need someone in Chicago. Even you. Even yeah. even you. The Lord could use even you, Doug. Yeah. <laughs> so we started it. We just did it. That's amazing. It was cool. So Go Promoter, something that I find really interesting is that nobody there receives a salary. And so is that intentional? or um, and, and what does that say about the mission of what you guys are trying to accomplish? Yeah, um, well, that that is definitely intentional. It didn't start off that way, and we really we really had no idea if we were going to be profit nonprofit. We didn't. Hmm. We just didn't know. We just yeah. okay, let's do a show, you know. And then all of a sudden, we had some money, and we're like, oh, we need a we need a little bit more money, you know, just working capital. And one thing leads to another, mm-hmm. and we're like, okay, now we have to make a decision. Like, what are we doing with this money? And um, opportunities just started coming up to help different causes you know in christian world and and um we were blessed enough to not need to take a salary so that's just kind of how that went and um, and then from that point on now now you know it's it's quite a bit different we do a lot more shows and there's more revenue and uh more decisions to be made so it's been really cool yeah well one of the things that i know about shows too is often people don't know the ones who are responsible for promoting in the first place they recognize the band but they don't actually know like unless you and you can go to gopromoters.com you can learn a whole lot more about the organization the different shows coming up i would encourage you to do that but what are just some of the shows in the last i don't even know how long has go promoters been a thing Five years. Holy cow. Yeah, okay. We had our fifth year anniversary. When was it? Yeah, just a few weeks ago. Yeah. That's so yeah. awesome. It doesn't feel like it's been that long. No. <laughs> what are, what are no. some of the shows you've done, or maybe what are some of your favorite shows that kind of stand out over the last five years? Well, we just did Zach Williams last weekend. Uh, Francesca Battistelli was wow. the first show that we did. Uh, first show ever, right. Jordan yeah. Felice has been a show that we regularly do. Uh, yeah. We've done him a few times. Uh, who else, Doug? For King we have Country. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. We've got Danny Gokey this Sunday. Yeah. Um, the yeah, 17th. Yeah, so we've got uh, we've we've done pretty much Big Daddy Weave. We've done like five times. Wow. So, yeah, it's yeah. been great. Oh, I think so. I've done a Q and A for a couple of those shows. You have. Yeah, right. As a matter of fact, uh, Ian Ian was with us in the beginning and uh, emceed our first show with Francesca. So That's nervous. Awesome. Yeah. I remember to this day, like pacing that it was at a school, right? Yeah, just mm-hmm. pacing the hallways, but like I'm going to throw up. I'm going to throw up. I'm going to throw up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so nervous, so nerve wracking. And then, you, then he'd ask us, "What what am I supposed to do?" And we'd be like, "I have no idea." <laughs> Which is super calming, right? You figured it out, man. That's why we asked you. What do you guys like about the Christian music scene, if I could use that word? What what opportunities does it afford you guys? Well, I think it's super fun to be able to bring people together with the same, uh, you know, a common cause. You know, mm-hmm. you're, you're listening to music, but everybody's of the same mindset of just loving Jesus and wanting to prolificate that message. You know, it's just uh, it's it's fantastic. I mean. Uh, the the opportunity that we have to be able to not only have original music done by these guys, but then the original music that bleeds into worship and just so many people from so many different backgrounds all coming together in mm-hmm. one environment to do that. I think Holy Spirit shows up in those circumstances. So it's a lot of fun to be mm-hmm. able to experience that. Yeah, that's really good. And, you know, uh, some people love Christian music and some people are not big fans of Christian right, music. Right. And, yep. You know, but when you see Christian music live, um, it's it's a completely different ball game, you know. Yeah, I mean, it true. sounds it, the light. It's such a professional. There's people that have never been to a show, and they're like, "Oh, I'm not going to a Christian music 
They don't know what they're missing, right? No, no. Right. And, it, and it's fantastic when you see these tours and the lighting, the sound, the quality of the show that you're getting for literally 20% of what a, a <laughs> right. you know, a, a, you know, that's true. A, a show at a stadium costs these days, right. you know. So you had mentioned, you kind of alluded to it, you know, five years ago, you're like, we don't really know what we're doing. Your wife was like, let's go for it. And like, <laughs> I know you, I've known you, I guess for 13 years now, something yeah. crazy like that. Yeah. Long time. You have just enough like jet fuel in your blood to be like, all right, <laughs> like, let's give it a shot. But what would you say to Doug five years ago with what you know now, like mm. working with boards and agencies and artists and trying to figure this whole thing out? Like what words of wisdom would you give to him if you could talk to him from five years ago? Yeah, that's good. Um, I, you know, it's funny. We we I used to be much more nervous um, going into these shows. Like, they, yeah. like we totally didn't know what we were doing. Right, right. And and the thing <laughs> is that like the tours, they know what they're doing. Right. They do this every day. Right. They walk into these <laughs> terrible scenarios sometimes, mm-hmm. and and so. The show always happens, mm. you know. It always goes on, and and uh, and then you know if we lose money, what the great thing, you know we used to worry about losing money, mm. and now we don't because we have, you know, we have uh, reserves to to draw upon if mm. if we have a bad show or something. Right. So we, you know, so I would just say. Relax. Yeah. <laughs> I think all of us would say relax yeah. on five years ago. Yeah. Versions of yeah. Well, this is being recorded, right? <laughs> yes. uh, you, telling uh, past Doug to relax. You that's should make stuff. it the ringer on your phone. <laughs> yeah. That's how the phone call comes. Doug, relax. That's great. <laughs> I'm curious. Uh, in the Christian world, now there's been, I don't want to get you guys in trouble, but there's this, this whole new rise of the worship concert. Uh, yeah. And I'm wondering what you guys think of that as people in kind of the business uh, do you love that or is it just a whole different genre that you're not really into yeah we gotta be careful there <laughs> i said i might get him in trouble but. yeah you know it's it's a tough one um mm. and i know i've spoke confidentially to some artists that mm. don't get it you uh, know and uh oh interesting yeah and then there's churches that are you know i have to be careful of too because yeah. they're really into that and they're aspiring mm. to that you know it, it's it's kind of like um, I think that God uses different genres to talk to different mm-hmm. people. He, you know, like one of the most impactful songs to me ever um, was was Chainbreaker from mm-hmm. from Zach Williams, and that was after I've been a Christian for twenty years and after I've been in the business. Right. That totally speaks to me. Hmm. Um, it, that chorus, and I actually typed it in my phone. You know, mm. but I know that. Worship really speaks to a lot of people differently. That's right. Um, so it's it's the same. I would say it's the same type of answer as someone that would say, well, what about Baptists and Pentecostals <laughs> and all? Right. It's yeah. like, well, God uses all of it. Right. He's clearly reaching somebody through it, so right. we'll celebrate that. Exactly. All right. So those other voices you're hearing are Doug and Nate from Go Promoters. I'm going to say it a bunch more times. Go to gopromoters.com to learn more. But what we're going to talk about coming up next is you guys are hosting a metal show in a bar that's coming up on December <laughs> what sixth is that yep. so yeah right yeah. around the corner I have so many questions <laughs> <laughs> as I'm sure everyone else does so that's what's coming up next here on the Common Good on AM eleven sixty hope for your life. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Common Good. My name is Ian Michael Simpkins, along with shoot 
you Brian James there from. Oh, we've only is. been doing this nine months, and I finally <laughs> ten months, eleven. Who cares? It doesn't matter. You can find us on Facebook, the Common Good Radio Show, eleven sixty hope dot com. You can also find us on Twitter at Common Good Talk. But we are thrilled to have mm-hmm. for two segments today in the studio, Doug and Nate from Go mm-hmm. Promoters. You can go to gopromoters dot com to learn more to support. Can they go to support there if they need to? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, um, why not? <laughs> yeah, why not? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Payable to Doug Zerka. Yeah. Okay, well, someone's sending like a paper check. Yeah. Just holding it up to the laptop. How do I get the money to you? All right, so here's the thing that I'm sure everyone who is just listening is wondering, what the heck are they going to talk about next? So you guys are hosting a metal show with Disciple on December 6th at Q Bar in Glendale Heights. But it's not a random booking. There's a whole kind of dream and vision behind this effort. Could you guys talk a little bit more about what the vision and hope is for that? Yeah, I think that one of the things that we were realizing by the typical show that we do inside of a church is there's not a whole lot of unbelievers who say, hey, right. I'm going to go step inside of a church to be able to listen to this music, no matter how good it is. Right. There's a, there's a barrier there. And mm. what our goal was is to be able to break down that barrier and have us go on the other side of it mm. and say, hey, how do we come alongside people who wouldn't make that decision, but they would make the decision to go have a drink at a bar. Yeah, right. And if we can get the positive conversations <clears throat> at the bar, that's the goal. Hmm. Uh, so uh, what we started to do is ask around to some of the people that we knew that uh, that had bands, and we said, hey, would you play inside of a bar You know, and be able to uh, share the message hmm. in a way that's not uh, overtly like in your face, convert now, or, you know. <laughs> or burn. Or burn. Yeah, right. <laughs> Um, but in a way that will elicit conversation between the people who are attending um, and give people an opportunity to say, hey, you know, those people that you've been inviting to church, yeah. they yeah. haven't come, but they'll come to drink with you at the bar. That's right. Go ahead and bring them along, listen to some great music and have an opportunity that yeah. we can, we can, um, yeah, that guy can speak in. I love know, that. So, yeah. Was was this a risk for you guys that you had to talk about a lot? Or is your culture like, nope, we're doing this and this is really exciting? Because there's probably some people that would push back on that. And so mm-hmm. wondering how those conversations went for you guys. Well, nobody within our group, maybe, maybe we need some more diversity on the board. I'm not, I'm not sure, but they're like, let's see, drinking, food, music, check, check. Yeah, you tell me when. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, uh, we, we talked about it. We've talked about it for years. We've yeah, talked right. about it, you know, that, you know, we're, we're our key verses, you know, to go out into the world, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, we're all about the Great Commission, yet, you know, we're, we're having trouble, mm. you know, with that vision within the walls of the church. That's right. So, um, you know, as much as we would say, we, we've said for years um, from the from the stage, hey, you know, bring a friend. And if you can't afford it, we'll pay for it. Yeah, that's you know, awesome. And that still stands. So for any show that we're doing, if someone wants to bring a, a person that needs to hear from Jesus, be around Jesus, yeah. you know, we'll pay for it, yeah. you know, if you, if they can't afford it. So, I love that. Yeah. So, you know, one, one thing led to another and uh, <laughs> we started talking about it and Nate knew some people. So we, mm. we said, well, we got to come up with a name for this. So we came up with go underground. Mm-hmm. So with this whole concert series called go underground. So anytime you see a go underground show, it's not your typical show. Got it. That's yeah. sort of like the tip mm-hmm. of the hat. Like, Hey, just be mindful. This is this particular kind of show right. so people know what sort of to expect and whatnot. Yeah. You were just saying last segment too that five years ago, Doug, you would have told them to relax and now you're doing shows in bars. Is that correlated? Is that the... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I feel very, very intentional. Yeah, uh, yeah. But here's the thing that I love about Go though and I can say this because I've been there since the very beginning is that you never seemed interested with just simply 
putting on shows. Anyone can just put on shows. You've said from day one, we want this to be a ministry. We know that Chicagoland needs this. We think that Go Promoters is meeting a very specific need. But for as long as I've known you, you've always tried to strategize. What are some ways that we can use some of this money to bless our community, bless our neighbors, kind of help churches do what they do? Like, what has that journey been like to see this thing that you have that God's kind of gifted you and your team as a means to bless the community like go go promoters is in many ways embodying what i think a lot of churches want to be but maybe mm. struggle what advice would you give to other people who are maybe leading in churches or running organizations that are like hey we have this equity we have this platform how can i better bless the people around me yeah i think it's just being intentional with it right like uh, uh thinking of the environment that you're in the community that you're in the needs that are not ne- you know necessary and mm. just saying hey you know god we hold everything with an open hand and, mm-hmm. and where would you have us give that's good where would you have us go outside of the normal i mean how often in any aspect of life when you're just doing the same thing over and over again do you do you uh, uh edge god out of mm. that situation mm. and when the board started talking about, hey, how do we utilize these funds that God's blessed us with? Well, then all of a sudden it was this idea and this idea. That's and, awesome. And we've we've operated on probably three or four of those different ideas. And, and uh, it's it's been a blast. That's you know, really it's, cool. It's brought new life. Yeah. yeah. So, some of it's been local. Like mm-hmm. we've, we've been able to work with a local pastor within Chicago. Um, and other has been international. Um, we've we helped uh, Unspoken is a band we've done some work with. Mm-hmm. And they have a. Um, a of their drummer, her, his dad is a pastor in Puerto Rico. So mm. when the whole Puerto Rico hurricane mm. uh, disaster came up, we they came to us and we we granted them some some funds that would buy That's generators awesome. and mm. and uh, do do a bunch of other stuff. And then they were able to bring their band over there, and, mm. which you know nothing that's free. Yeah, so, right, right. Yeah, so it, it was actually really inexpensive to get there, but really expensive to get home. So, yeah. <laughs> that sounds about right. Yeah. So, so as the non-musician in the group here, Ian's the drummer of the two of us, right? And so, uh, if I've got this question, I'm guessing some other people out there might, what exactly goes into quote unquote, putting on a show? What exactly do you guys do from start to finish? What's, what is that process? Wow. Well, <laughs> it, it starts anywhere between, you know, five to months to a year i mean we're wow. talking right now we're looking at a couple of dates for christmas next year oh wow yeah wow. um but mostly we're trying to fill out our our spring mm-hmm. um and then we kind of take the summer off because there's a lot of festivals and stuff like that right but it's it's everything and it also depends if you're buying a, a, a tour that's going out or if you're bringing in very specific bands there's a lot more work mm. if you bring in specific bands gotcha. and put an event on by yourself right rather right. than buying a a tour that's kind of like already existing yeah mm-hmm. right so it, it's everything from the original booking goes like six months, and then you're promoting it mm-hmm. um, different ways, and you got to come up with budgets and <laughs> and projections and a lot of numbers, and uh, which is why we've added people to the board. We've we've recently added um, uh, Dave and Ann are these awesome board members, and um, and Kelly and who else? And Lana's on the John board. And John, and, yeah. John does our security. So we've added very specific pieces of people that will help us at financial spots or administrative hmm. spots. And as, as the show gets closer, it becomes a very, it's an administrative puzzle right. to put it all together. Mm-hmm. And uh, so there's, there's lots of elements to it. And, and then the day of, of course, is um, just, you know, <laughs> chaos. It, it's, it, it can be chaos. It can be, it's generally organized chaos. Yeah. 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 And uh, if, if things go well, then by two o'clock, you chill out for about an hour and a half. And then around three thirty, four o'clock, 
it all the people start coming for early entry VIP and and the energy in that moment of the day actually is pretty palpable when yeah, you've been yeah. like setting up and all the work and preparation and then it's like we're going to open the doors yeah. it, there's like this electric feeling in the Absolutely. room of like oh man what is God going to do in the midst yeah. and I'm glad you said that because my guess is someone's listening right now and they're like I want to be a part of this yeah. I can't serve on the board but like do you need day of volunteers can people reach oh, out yeah. to you to help with load in and load out with promotion with tickets with like what opportunities are available to someone listening that's saying okay I don't know how much free time I have, but I would love to partner with you in whatever way that I can. Yeah, like, for instance, we had our show on Saturday. We probably had uh, 60 to 70 volunteers plus that wow. were helping us out that day. And now we've got a show on Sunday. So there's there's a list of over 150 volunteers that help us out on a regular basis. Wow. However, that sounds like a lot. Yeah. But when you're talking about people's schedules and volunteering, it's still not enough. We'd right. love for people to be able to help out. I mean, a show starts at sometimes 7, 8 o'clock in the morning right. and goes till 10, 11, 12 <laughs> o'clock at night. Wow. And there's things that people can do all along the way. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so we'd love to be able to have more volunteers. Yep. There's a out. specific link on that on the website for volunteering. So. And what is that website? one more time it's www we started, <laughs> we started it with www i think it's http <laughs> backslash backslash yeah. no it's secure https oh pbs that's what secure i'm learning new things every day so it's gopromoters.com gopromoters.com and what do they click on if they want to volunteer there's a volunteer there's a button right on the homepage. that's so awesome and just to make sure everyone is reminded again december 6th disciple at q bar in glendale heights this is a part of the Go underground, and if you're just joining us, there's beer. So that's my <laughs> my quick 10 second commercial there at the end. But I I can't encourage you enough. Go to gopromoters.com to learn more. And Doug and A, thank you so much for joining us, guys. Please come back sometime. You bet. Thanks, thank guys. you. Glad. Thank you. We listen to the Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Here's some weird stuff we found on the internet. <clears throat> Here's some more weird stuff we found on the web. Whoa, okay. Here we go. That music. That music has got me all sorts of nervous, to be honest. That is the sound of the end of the show, which means interweb insanity, which means stories that our producers have selected yes. that we have not read, sound effects we have not heard. This week has already been a doozy. It's been a hard one. There's been a couple, there's been a couple of ones that I don't. We I didn't think we were going to get through, and uh, we're going to do that in a second. But first, Brian has some words he wants to speak at you. I want you to go see the new movie coming out November 22nd about Mr. Rogers called The Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Uh, it comes to theaters Love November it. 22nd. Sure I had the pleasure of being able to see it, and I can tell you it's really good. I am going to take my family to go see it. You are. I am. It was. I was afraid that I wouldn't like it, and I loved it. Is so, it safe for families? Like it's safe a, for families. Nice. Yes. And uh, Tom Hanks. He is a ringer for for Mr. Rogers. So uh, it's called A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Comes out in the theaters November twenty second. I have seen it. I'm going to see it again, and I would encourage you to do so as well. What a ringing endorsement, Thank Brian you. James from. Why don't you kick us off with Interweb Insanity? Uh, Japan. Japan is having a shortage of ninjas. Despite offering an $85,000 salary. Stop. Is this real? Yeah, I don't know. I want to be a ninja. Uh, Iga Japan is reportedly having a lesser known crisis compared to the demographic one that the country is currently facing. A huge shortage of ninjas, despite offering candidates a pretty hefty annual salary of $85,000 as maximum. The small city, which believes to be the birth- birthplace of the popular ninjas, receives about 30,000 tourists to see and experience. Ah, uh, see, it's a tourist thing. The annual mm. ninja festival. But while this may be good news to some, the city is actually suffering from depopulation and young people are now moving away from the rural countryside. 
Uh, last year, it only attracted 43 new young residents as a whole while Ega lost about 1,000 residents. So to help bring back the local economy's boom, the mayor plans to use its ninja heritage to attract both local and international tourists during its annual celebration. Oh, boy. Yep. Yep. I'm not sure I'm supposed to laugh at that. Yep. I do want to move to Japan now. And you want to be a ninja. 85 grand to be a ninja? Yes, yeah, please. Sign me up twice. All right. This is out of England. Northern Eco? Echo. Northern Echo. Echo sure. <laughs> Northern Echo. Sorry for publishing obituary of man who was alive. Oh, gosh. The Northern Echo has apologized unreservedly after publishing the obituary of a man who had not died. The newspaper, based in the northeast of England, said it had withdrawn the obituary of Charlie Donaghy, a lifelong supporter of grassroots sports in the region, and that it was pleased to report he was alive and well. <laughs> His family said they were devastated by the inaccuracy of the report. No one from the Echo had been in touch with them before publication to check that he had died. They said, you cannot unhear or unread that your father is dead. Oh, my gosh. The Northern Echo said it had been told by three sources that he had died, but accepted that it was wrong. He's still alive! Well, he's not as dead as we would have hoped. Oh my, can I you like, imagine? I like that they said, even though we had three sources, we accept that he's alive. Yeah, yeah like, thanks Northern Echo for accepting that he's still breathing. France, everything international today. Look at us. Baby given free entry into nightclub for life after mother gives birth on dance floor. <laughs> A young woman got the fright of her life when she realized she was going to have to give birth to her baby in the middle of a dance floor. The incident happened on Monday morning at 5.30 a.m. in the nightclub in the French city of Toulouse. Local media reported that it was a 19-year-old woman who gave birth, and she had received a lot of help from the club staff. Uh, speaking to La Dapeche, the manager sure. of the nightclub said it was 5.30 a.m. The club was just closing. There was a lot of people left in the place, and one of my members of staff came over to me and said it was urgent. I could see that the woman was about to give birth, but we had to act quickly. A member of the staff called the emergency medical line who talked us through what we had to do. The young woman didn't seem to panic, but she was worried. Then the baby came out. (laughs) Hey, Ricky, you were right. I was pregnant. Yeah, it says here that the baby's name is Snooky. So that's, should, yeah. should a nine-month pregnant woman be at a nightclub at 5.30 in the morning? Oh, listen, I didn't want to go there. You live your life. Yeah. <laughs> and now it's, you got free entry. So maybe we're, they were, we're not doctors. They're but the yeah, winner. Not a great idea. All right, New York, getting, uh, getting domestic. We're back. NYPD bust Bronx woman who could be responsible for making 24,000 bogus 911 oh. calls. How do you have the time for that? Mm. 24,000. Okay, the NYPD says officers arrested a woman for a bogus 911 call that was placed last Friday, but they are now investigating whether she's behind making more than 24,000 of these types of calls since the summer. Since the summer? All right. Lady, you got to get out. Yeah, one. The seriously. caller allegedly stated to the 911 operator that there was a fire and smoke coming from the basement, which subsequently called multiple, uh, caused multiple police and fire units to respond at the time of the call. In the end, officers arrested 38-year-old Yogita Persuade hmm, of the Bronx shortly after 2 p.m. Friday while, investigator, while investigating what turned out to be a false 911 call. According to police, Persuade was charged with making a false report, fire, making a false report, emergency, obstructing governmental administration, and aggravated harassment. Uh, no, you got the wrong number. This is 912. <laughs> We've had that one, and I still like it. Last one. I'm still international here, South Africa. Look at you. South African gin company infuses their alcohol with elephant dung. The makers of a South African gin infused with elephant dung swear the use of the animal's excrement is no gimmick. <laughs> the creators of this gin stumbled across the idea a year ago after learning that elephants eat a variety of fruits and flowers and yet digest less than a third of them. 
As a consequence, in the elephant dung, you get the most amazing variety of these botanicals, they said. Why don't we let the elephants do the hard work of collecting all these botanicals and we will make gin from it, he recalled his wife suggesting. Her idea came after a safari during which the wildlife ranger described an elephant's digestive process. Weeks later, he said his wife woke him up in the middle of the night with the inspiration. Okay, I said sleepily, let's give this a bash. Let's see how it works out. Oh, boy. Lagavulin neat. Clear alcohols are for rich women on diets. Oh, gosh. Ron you, Swanson? Yeah, way to go. Yeah. It does say, though, that this gin quickly uh, rose to number two on the, <laughs> on the rankings. That's, I hate, oh, I, I hate that we ended on that it. joke. I'm so sorry. Oh, Golly. that joke stunk. Hopefully even, hey, <laughs> <laughs> even in light of that, hopefully you'll join us again tomorrow and every weekday from 4 to 6 p.m. here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life.